Hey there, cousins. Welcome to the Chicken Fried Brimblebanks Brothers Front Porch Storytime. This is Buford the Talking Basset Hound, ready for a scratch on the rump and a nap on the porch. And now, sit back and grab a bushel of corn shuck while I turn you over to the Brimblebanks Brothers themselves, Coy and Vance Brimblebanks. It's a hot day here at Brimblebanks Homestead. Brother Vance, it's hotter than a skillet for a fire ants. It's hotter than Cousin Porkchop's inner thighs after a July square dance. <laughs> I'm sweating like a balloon at a porcupine convention. It do balloons sweat. Oh, you're more literal in a dictionary and a definition convention. I wasn't tarnation to that Did somebody say they was hot? Well, hello, Luella Lou. Did you bring them sweet teas out here for us? Yep. Lesson these two other handsome fellas out here somewhere. Well, now. <laughs> Lying to gosh. Fork and knives. Flapjacks and knapsacks. Well, is y'all gonna drink them ice teas or ain't ya? Thanks, Luella. Much obliged. My, but Luella Lou, you do look pretty in that flowered shirt tied up by your belly button and them shorts shorter than Kenny Baker drowning in a quicksand. My Vance, I just don't know how to take you. How about over by the... <laughs> that girl is your cousin, Vance. She sure is. You boys are so silly. Why, here comes my little sister, Billy Sue, Sally, and Ginger Snip. Look at what I done caught down by the froggy pond. Yellow fever? It's a frog. I was down there with my girlfriend, Patty Ann, Patty Ann. You mean your friend is a girl? No, I mean my girlfriend, who I likes to hug and kiss. <laughs> oh, Billy Sue, you do say the silliest things. Hey... Here comes old Goober with the grits wagon. Hey, Goob. <laughs> Howdy, Brimblebanks clan. Anybody want a bowl full of grits? It's too hot for grits, Goober. Aw, and I came with my grits scooper out and everything. I bet you really don't want to buy none of my grits, because Mr. Abdella already been by with his fluffle wagon. Nah, that ain't it. Them Muslims are taking our jobs. Now, that ain't true. It sure is. And then they're only doing it because they hate America. Nah, stop now. Goob, you hate America. The South shall rise again. Oh, Goober. It's all hate with them. They're hateful religion. Nah, that's enough, Goober. You go and hitch your hog to the hitching post there and pull up a rocking chair. I think I feel a story coming on. Me too, Brother Vance. I feel it in my bunions. Now, you all know Obadiah Brimblebanks loved telling stories about as much or more as any other Brimblebanks. Of course he did. And he reckoned it was only a matter of time for everyone in America knew his name as the greatest storyteller there ever was. He could feel that fame and riches coming, and he needed it bad. But what maybe you didn't know about Obadiah is that he liked his moonshine almost as much as he liked telling stories. Well, we all like our moonshine, your libel say, and that's true enough. So if and one is to start out saying first thing about a fellow that he liked his moonshine, you might take it the wrong way. You might take it to mean a fella's a drunk. Which Obadiah was not. Well, Obadiah did enjoy a swig of moonshine as much as the next fella. True to say, he just loved everything about it. He loved the shining amber hue of the liquid itself. He loved the rhythm of the steel as it shimmered and shook. He loved working under cover of the night as the stars and fireflies twinkled and danced together. He loved the very word. Moonshine. And he was proud of his product, too. The way he figured, 
His moonshine should make him nearly as rich and famous as he hoped his stories someday would. Well, he'd say things like, My moonshine is so delicious that Colonel Sassafras likes to put it on his ice cream instead of hot fudge. And, My moonshine is so potent, you serve it to a chicken, she lays hard boiled eggs. And, My moonshine is so wild, it will make a Martian tickle his brother with a Neptunian clackerspiel. Now, most folks didn't know what the hell Obadiah meant by that last one, but he assured them if they knew any Martians, well, they'd find it pretty impressive. But the thing Obadiah liked to say the most often was, My moonshine is the best there is. Why? Well, the devil himself, with all the fires of hell, couldn't brew better moonshine than mine. Oh, you can say a thing like this a few times and people don't pay no never mind. Well, people are used to bragging. You can say a thing like that ever so often and maybe a few people start to believe. You say a thing like that too much, though, word gets around. Well, yes, sir, my moonshine is the best there is. Why, uh, the devil himself, with all the fires of hell, couldn't brew better moonshine than mine. And once word starts getting around, it can find its way to all kinds of interesting places. Obadiah himself had gotten all the way over to Missouri to a local watering hole, name of the Crossroad Saloon. He was trying to convince the bartender to carry his shine and sell it to his patrons. And once again, he said, Yes, sirree. My moonshine is the best there is. Famous from Nebraska to Missouri. Why, the devil himself, with all the fires of hell, couldn't brew better moonshine than mine. There was a sudden burst of brimstone and a flash of hellfire. And there he stood, the devil himself in the crossroads saloon. <gasps> Obadiah Brimblebanks, you done shot your mouth off one too many times. The devil stood some seven feet tall. His skin was as red as a coyote's mouth after he just caught himself a rabbit. His eyes and hair were as black as crude oil. His horns glowed orange like hot embers. When he spoke, you could see that his tongue was a whole living snake with a little forked tongue of its own. And in his hand, he brandished a moonshine jug made of bright shining gold with three silver X's on it. As you are sure to learn in time, Obadiah Birmingham was quick on his feet. But the sight of the devil himself gave even him pause. But Obadiah collected himself right quick and said to the devil, Well, if it ain't old Scratch himself, Nick, would you do me a favor and tell the barkeep what I says is so? What? Why? You listen to me, Obadiah Brimblebanks. Ain't nobody brews a better moonshine than the devil. Well, I expect you and I could both stand here and say whatever we cares to say all day, and well into night time. But that don't prove much of nothing, now do it. Do I hear the suggestion of a contest on your lips? Now, Obadiah Brimblebanks, to be sure, was no angel. But he weren't no devil, neither. But he did have some things in common with the devil. First, they shared a love of making moonshine. And second, neither could resist a contest. Terms? Simple enough, I suppose. We pick a judge, he tastes your moonshine and mine, and says whose is best. But who to judge? Barkeep! Who's the biggest drunk in the bar? Well, that'd be old Sam. Said the barkeep, pointing to a drunk slept over on a table in the corner. Sam come in here all the time lately. Sad he can't make no living telling jokes. Drinks himself into a stupor. That's our judge. Agreed? Agreed. Stakes? <laughs> I bet you can guess. If and I win this contest, Obadiah Brimblebanks, I get your everlasting soul. And if I win? You tell me. Obadiah rubbed his chin and thought for a spell. 
He was a simple man who didn't require too much to feel content. An audience for his stories, a still to brew a shine, a sunny day on occasion. Still, a little extra wealth never hurt nobody. This, of course, is not true, strictly speaking. A little extra wealth is quite often hurt people. But still, that was what passed through Obadiah's head at that moment. A little extra wealth never hurt nobody. And as he thought this, his eyes rested on... Your golden moonshine jug. My jug? Well, I don't... That is... I thought you said you couldn't lose. Well, I can't. If you really believe that, what difference do it make what I ask for? Fine. Now, I'll need to prepare a fresh batch of my brew, of course. As will I. And I need to inspect your still, of course. Make sure there ain't no foul play. You can inspect mine. Fair enough. The devil extended a bony hand. The palm was open and his long black fingernails pointed toward Obadiah. The moonshiner reached forward and shook the hand of the devil. Old Scratch smiled a yellow grin and squeezed. Obadiah's finger bones cried out in agony but did not break. And with another flash of hellfire and another puff of brimstone, the devil was gone. Mysterious stranger. Don't interrupt, Billy Sue. But I like this part. I want to tell this part. Boys? Well. <laughs> I suppose my Bellas could use a break. Well, if she gets to tell bit, I gets to too. Oh, sarsaparilla. You watch your tongue, Billy Sue. Well, come on, girls. Is you going to tell the next bit or ain't you? We is. Now, Obadiah Brimblebanks was playing it cool, but deep down in his insides, his stomach was jumping like a bullfrog on a pokey stick. And if and he thought he was nervous then, it only got worse on his way home. Walking back from the crossroads... Meeting the saloon. And feeling at something of a crossroads... Meeting a point in one's life where events could take you one way or the other. Obadiah found himself at a literal crossroads. Meeting a spot where two pathways meet. And there at the crossroads stood a mysterious stranger. The mysterious stranger wore a long tan coat the part near touched the ground. His hat was pulled down low on his brow so it cast a shadow over his eyes. In his right hand, he carried a case in the shape what suggested there was a guitar inside. Well, hey there, traveler. I'm Obadiah Brimblebanks. What's your name? And the mysterious stranger at the crossroad told him. You're in trouble, friend. You made a bet with the devil and the devil always wins. Well... We'll just see about that. Ain't nobody bested my moonshine yet. It doesn't matter if he do, and it don't matter if he don't. The devil, you see, has got himself a moonshine jug made out of pure gold, forged over the fire pits of hell and shaped by the house of the damned. Yeah, I seen it. Well, one sip of that jug, and the drinker must obey the suggestion of the man who poured the drink. So a full scratch says that Hog piss tastes like sweet tea. Then he that drink it is bound to agree. Well, that's mighty useful information to hear. But why come and tell me? Ain't unusual for a man to have a grudge against the devil. You met him? If I hadn't, I couldn't do this. And with that, a guitar flew out and was on the stranger so quick that the strap seemed to wrap itself around him on its own accord. The stranger flexed his fingers and cracked all his knuckle bones at once. And then... <laughs> That's mighty fine finger picking. Good luck to you, Obadiah Bribblebanks. Good luck to you, stranger. In response, the stranger just tipped his hat 
and the two men headed off in different directions from the crossroads. Now then, Obadiah Brimblebanks, Ben... That's enough. You don't had your scene. Oh, canker sores. You boys always hog most of the storytelling. Well, we're much older than you gals. Someday, when you're older than we are, you can tell most of the stories. Well, okay. Well, Obadiah knew he got himself in a whole heap of trouble. But as good as he was at brewing moonshine, he was even better at finding ways to get himself into and out of trouble. The devil damnation and the magic jug? <laughs> that weren't impossible to beat. He just needed time to think a spell. And it weren't more than a spell or two later when... There was the devil again, grinning like a pole cat with a brand new pole. My steel is ready for your inspection, Brimblebanks. Ready to head... To hell. Obadiah swallowed once, but tried not to let his nerve show. Ready as I'll ever be, old Scratch. Yes, sir. Obadiah Brimblebank sure is in a jam this time, ain't he? And I don't mean grape jelly. <laughs> now, let's take a moment to pause while I go see about lifting my leg by my favorite willow tree. Enjoy this commercial, and I'll see y'all when I'm empty. Dad, if God created all the plants and animals in the whole universe, why did he create mosquitoes? They don't do anything good. Well, son, mosquitoes are an important part of God's creation because they, uh... Uh-oh. That's a tough one. What is a faithful, God-fearing parent supposed to do when this doozy of a question rears its bloody little head? Well, mosquitoes... Don't have a good answer. You've sown the beginnings of doubt in God's great plan. Now your son or daughter is only a few tough questions away from a life of moral relativism, liberal atheism, and eventual eternal damnation. All because you had no earthly idea why God created the mosquito. Well, fear no more. Now you don't have to tell your child what mosquitoes are good for. You can show him with the mosquito-powered Buzzomatic Treadmill Light Bulb. Just catch a few hundred mosquitoes and press them into a tiny insect chain game. Then just scream at the mosquitoes and whip them with the tiny whip included with your buzzomatic. To avoid the sting of your whip and your words, they'll trudge around the light bulb, operating the circular buzzomatic treadmill while turning the crank with their tiny hands. Oh, they'll fall in line, all right. And before you know it, they'll have generated enough electricity to light the bulb. A warm glow to read bedtime stories by. Wow! And that's why God made mosquitoes? You betcha, son. God sure is omniscient and all-knowing. He sure is, son. He sure is. And now, back to the chicken fried Brimblebanks Brothers front porch storytime telling of Come Hell or Firewater. Well, a small handful of living folk have made their way across old K-Rons River and through the gates of hell, but it sure ain't many. Those that have are mostly split into two types, the greatest warriors and the greatest storytellers. 
Now the warriors, they never did fare too well. Obadiah figured he was the other sort. He knew a heck of a lot of stories. Obadiah Brimblebanks reminded himself as he stood on the warm planks of the small boat watching the dark water sweep beneath, not to sit down nowhere no matter how sweetly he was asked, and not to eat or drink nothing. Heck, he feared if a hack like Dante could go to hell and back, certainly a Brimblebanks would fare just fine. The devil had traveled by disappearing and told Obadiah where to meet him in hell. Gave him directions and a coin for a ferry on account of mortals had to get there the old-fashioned way. Caron, the ferryman in his filthy clothes and long rubber beard, hadn't even blinked his fire eyes when he accepted the special token, welcoming Obadiah on board. You must have been dumb enough to make a bet with old Scratch. <laughs> One I intend to win, but how'd you know? said Obadiah, readjusting his knapsack on his back and looking out at the misty waters as the ferry pulled away from shore. No old Scratch ain't one for hard work. Anyone bet him something that's likely to take him some time or effort to win? He always invites him down here first on some flimsy excuse or another. Well, I'm just checking out his moonshine still, making sure all's fair. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> time you get across this river, you won't remember no stills. You won't even remember what your own boxes is for. What now? This here river we're crossing is Levy. Anyone who crosses it forgets dang near everything. Getting you ready for what's to come is what it's supposed to do, but it's real, real convenient for winning bats, too. I won't remember how to make my moonshine. Nope. I won't remember any of my stories. But them's the only way I's gonna be rich. Well, them's the only way anyone's gonna remember my name. Well, damn you, devil. <laughs> Moonshine and stories do nothing. You won't remember if you're a man or a worm in the heart of a shit beagle. Well, this here's cheating. Don't see how. You climbed the bar to your own free will. Had to check out that moonshine still and all. Well, I changed my mind. Your mind's gonna be changed, all right. <laughs> Turn back. No refunds or exchanges. <laughs> Obadiah thought about pushing Kron overboard and taking control of the ferry himself. But then he remembered the warrior Theseus, who had his own memory erased for so long. No, fighting weren't the way. So everyone you take across this here river loses all their memory? This here river? Everyone. It must make for some interesting conversation. Sure do. Some people get the feeling they'll be gabby when they realize it's their last chance to use their remembrances. They tell me their finest nights, best adventures, secrets they never tell to soul. Secrets? Boring things that mean a lot to them, like who they loved and never told, or more interesting things like where they hid the bodies. Or the treasures. Treasures? Well, I always did want to be rich. <laughs> oh, plenty of treasures. Blackbeard and Flint and even Cleopatra and all the rest of them been through here, one after another. Always real sad and futile they is, telling about the money they never get to use. And when they realize they themselves won't know where them treasures are in a little bit, they figure there's no harm in telling old Kron. Well, there ain't. Not like you can go get those treasures. You got to row this here boat all day. Ain't that true? I got to row this here boat all dang day. 
You're down here just trying to scrape up a living on the coins in the mouths of dead men. Another day, another corpsey mouth dollar. Too bad you uh didn't have someone who could make use of all that good know-how and go get one or two of those treasures for you. Someone living who could carry chests of gold and jewels, make all those mouth coins pale in comparison. <laughs> now, why would you go and do a thing like that? Well, I'll take a third of the treasure. Finder's fee, of course. I give the other two-thirds to you. You're the one with the know-how after all. One-third, two-thirds? Of course. But if I told you where some treasures were, why wouldn't you go keep it all for yourself and forget about old K-Ron down here with his boat? Why'd you come back to hell if you didn't have to? Well, I've read the stories of people you won't let on your ferry. Wandering dead and aimless a hundred years. You're no man to get on the wrong side of. And much as I might not want to think of it, you and I'll meet again. And I won't be so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed next time. And I'll need your services. I try not to burn bridges. Or fairies, as it were. You'll be needing me for certain, Obadiah. You'll be needing me for certain. <laughs> Obadiah looked at the mist all around them. It was hard to tell from which way they had come or which way they were going. He nervously checked his head for stories. And David Crockett killed a bear when he was only three. Then he died bravely at the... Uh, at the... Damn. Where did he done die? He couldn't remember. Listen, K-Ron. The one problem we got with this here scheme of ours is that by the time this boat gets to the other side, I won't remember the whole dang plan let alone where Cleopatra's jewels is at. Too bad. It was a good idea, too. Back to coin by coin for you and oblivion for me. Now, hold on. You really in for this? Hell, I am if you is. What have we got to lose? I'm about to be obliviated, and you? Well, every storyteller that's ever been through here talks about how damn filthy and ragged your threads is. You're barely getting by at what they paying you. What have you got to lose, too? The whole lot of nothing. Get on, moonshine. So, uh, my memories? I got that taken care of. There's more than one river here in the underworld, but they all connected. It'll take us a while, but we'll get you crossed somewhere else. I'll take us up to the sticks and cross you there. For that, I would be much obliged. And with that... Caron changed course, and he did it well, whistling a bit of an old sea shanty, feeling in better spirits than he had in a long time. And that made him talkative. Now, Obadiah was never much of a star chaser, but he'd never had a chance to talk to someone who had met so many rich and famous people, and so he fell to asking questions, and Caron was happy to tell, finding it new and different to speak to someone who wouldn't immediately forget everything he said. Now, Vance and I don't like to take too much credit for things we ain't hardly no part of, so we don't mind telling you that a lot of our Brimblebank stories are passed down all these years from our great-grandpappy Obadiah. And they was told to him by K. Rowan himself, gathered by him over millions of years of fairy and the chattering dead. That's true? Well, sure it is. Well, like, which stories did we get from K. Rowan? Cleopatra's fishing trip with Antony. Ben Franklin getting sent to purgatory for whoring. Davy Crockett dying heroically on the Titanic. But, Cousin Coy... 
don't think that's where Davy Crockett died. Could be he did. Well, could be he didn't. Grandpappy Obadiah's memory was always a little weird after that trip on the Lily. Might be he had a detail wrong here or there. Point being, eventually they reached the other side of the river Styx, and Obadiah said his goodbyes, thanked Kron for the stories and the locations of the treasures, and promised to return with more gold and jewels than anyone had ever seen in one place. So with his knapsack and his memories more or less intact, Obadiah abandoned all hope and entered hell. And the place was plumb full of ghosts. But they seemed to take no notice of him. They wandered, empty-eyed, slack-jawed, shuffling feet. He brushed past them like they were cold gusts of wind. But the more he walked, the denser they become. Until he could see nothing in any direction but lost and wasted souls, and hear nothing but the silent screams of their gaping mouths. He realized on account of he'd been dropped at the shore of the wrong river, the devil's instructions now made no sense at all. He was in an entirely different part of hell, with no idea which way to walk. Who knew hell was so dang big? He asked the shades, but they brushed by him wordlessly. He wandered forever. Time had no meaning at all. After a bit of that, he wasn't so sure he was sane no more. But it was hard to tell, really. Then one day, or one year, he remembered the bag of blood in his knapsack. Oh yeah, the bag of blood! Because one thing about Obadiah was he knew his stories, so he knew what a bag of blood could do. He kicked at the ground beneath his feet, then knelt down and dug with his hands till he'd made himself a circle in a shallow trench. He tore at the bag of blood with his teeth, then poured the thick red bloody blood into the trench. Then, as if they was all one big ghost instead of lots of normal-sized ones, every shade around him turned to look. Their vacant eyes of a sudden hungry as hell itself, and he were rushed with a terrible wind. Ghastly howling faces on every side held back by the small circle of blood around him, and they did not cross. If you remember the old stories correctly, only those he named could drink. But who to name? There was only so much blood, he had to make it count. So we pulled out. Dante Allegra, William Shakespeare, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Edgar Allan Poe. They were shuffling among the Highland dead. Some minutes went by, then some minutes more. Then an Italian man dressed in red pushed to the front of the wailing crowd and knelt in front of the trough of blood. He drank deeply, then looked up at Obadiah, his otherwise gray lips dribbling blood. Bonjour, do I know you? The mess of spirits shuffled again, and a balding spirit with a beard and tight stepped forward, knelt, and drank. Well, Metzera, my thanks for the blood of all the humors. She's the most refreshing. He smacked his lips and grinned, flashing gray teeth outlined in red. Dostoevsky and Poe had appeared behind Obadiah and were busy drinking their fill, too. Just my luck, said Poe. Hardly any blood for Poe. If you had gotten here first, you would have finished it all yourself. You have problem, Poe. Don't judge. Merely stating that which is apparent to all. Myself, I find your misery deep and fascinating, and I'm sure you've good reason for it. Unfathomably good. His mortal coil is shuffled off. Good enough reason to lose all one's mirth, no? He's worse than that. Poe has secrets he's ashamed of. Speak of them, Poe. Fess up to what shames you. You may find yourself forgiven, understood, and even moved. 
Nobody forgives, understands, or even loves Poe. With a splotch sound, Poe put his head down in the bloody, muddy ditch, seemingly passed out. I can't hardly believe it. Billy Shakespeare, Fyodor Dostoevsky, and Poe. Y'all are my biggest heroes. Hey, you called him my name in the do. What about me? Well, uh, nice to meet you too, but uh, you're here because I need help. Oh no, this is not fair. Everybody always calling this guy here and that guy there just to talk. But it's always, hey Dante, show me the way. Hey Dante, give me a tour of hell. Sorry, but uh, hey, most people just get plum forgotten after they're dead. But folks talk about you fellas near every day. People still marvel at every dang word you wrote. That must be amazing. It's like you're immortal. Is uh, is not so great. Verily, that's so. Fame means less than nothing here, Sarah. The hell is bleak and lonely and cool. And this from a man who spent many a day in the prisons of Siberia. Duh. So, being the most famous writers that ever lived don't do you no good tall. Better, I say, to be a poor wordsmith, telling stories to nary a soul but those dearest to thee, than to be the most celebrated scribe in the halls of Hades. If I had choice between all my novels and one roast chicken from Sonia's heart, I'd take the chicken. And sweeter still to spend one night twixt Sonia's sheets. Duh! Waste not thy words, nor time on fame, nor glory, young swain, for it shan't fill thy life any more than it has the power to fill thee here. Write words for the love of the writing. Elsewise, find a dark-haired young man or woman to love. Or sunny day, free from pain, in the presence of someone who understands. Yes. Said Poe, picking his head up out of the bloody mud to scoff at them. Romanticize the past if it brings you comfort. Poe knows it was no better there than here. Dark, gloomy, violent garbage. That was life for Poe. How canst thou speak thus? Zooms! Look at this place! At least above thou have thy brandy down, Poe! Girls didn't like Poe there, and they still don't like Poe here. He paused and looked at them, all hoping someone might disagree. Till finally, Obadiah said... Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sure they liked Poe just fine. And hell, not even Poe's fiance talked to Poe. Poe, nobody talks to anybody down here. They don't remember you. Nobody remembers poor Poe. Poe, lots of people rem- Oh, hell, never mind. Alas, I feel thy bloody gift waning, sirrah. It has been sublime to converse, but I must needs return to my coil shuffling. And shuffling, what dreams may come, indeed. And with that, he shuffled back into the hungry, mindless mob. Is not as meaningless as it all seems, said Dostoevsky, more to himself than anyone else. And he seemed a whole lot less than sure about the idea. He moved into the crowd as well. The spirits began to disperse. The starving look in their eyes replaced with the nothing that had been there before. Ah, oh, shoot! But the blood hardly lasts. He turned to Dante. And I need your help. Don't worry. Give me your hand. Uh, well, that seems like a bad idea. You don't have much of a choice unless you want to wander these plains alone forever. Obadiah held his hand out to Dante. Who took it in his own, raised it to his mouth, and bit down on the wrist. Ow! Ow, hey! Well, Dante made gross slurping sounds as he drank and drank. 
Obadiah had to hit him over the head with his knapsack to get him to stop. It rang with a metallic thud. Lots of human blood! Okay, Dante. You got your human blood. Now take me to the devil. You betcha. Nobody knows the way like a Dante! Oh, great. And Dante walked off through the mess of spirits with Obadiah hurrying after. And Grail and Poe looked up from his bloody mud and sighed. Everybody always leaves Poe. Well, things started getting real cold. And then it weren't long before they were all standing before the devil himself, bent over his moonshine still. Satan, it's me. Well, hell, you made it. And you still remember who you is. I sure do. I'm Obadiah Brimblebanks. And you's a cheater, old Scratch. But I'm so dang confident in my moonshine is better than yours, I'm going on with the contest anyway. Now... I'll be inspecting your steel and making sure there ain't no more cheating. Well, you come a long way, Obadiah. Can I offer you some refreshments? Well, sure. What you got? Pomegranate, mostly. Now, devil, you just quit it. If there's one thing I know other than moonshine, it's stories. And I don't want none of your pomegranates. I see. The devil fumed. Steam rose from his face. Well, what say we both have a glass of moonshine here? To make things neighborly again. And then he handed Obadiah his golden jug of moonshine. Try a swig. You'll see why you're gonna lose anyway. Devil, I told you. I know the rules. Can't eat or drink nothing in hell or you can't never leave. I ain't drinking nothing till I'm back up there. The devil hated having to win fair and square. And this here had been his last idea to get out of it. And the devil was not the sort to take disappointment well. He roared like the poor loser, cheating scoundrel, and terrifying monster he was. And the roar was so fierce and terrifying that Obadiah was thrown off his feet backwards and tumbled feet overhead, knapsack, brimblebanks, jug and all. He sat up all discombobulated, everything all akimbo. The devil stalked up to him and then Fuman reached down. He snatched his golden jug out of Obadiah's hands. Give me that. Fine, Obadiah Brimblebanks. No more waiting. No more messing round. I'm done with you. If I gotta win fair and square, then I do. My moonshine is the best there is, and there ain't no better. We're gonna have the contest right now. And he snapped his fingers and hell were gone. And in its place was the same saloon where all this started. And everyone was surprised to see them standing there, except drunk Sam in the corner who didn't even pick up his head to look. Obadiah's moonshine still was there, too, and ready to go. And the devil in Obadiah. Nothing left to do but to do it. Got to work. And afore long, they were ready with their moonshine. Drunk Sam, he was ushered over, unstable on his feet as he was, and placed before the devil in Obadiah. Gentlemen, am I to understand you correctly? I'm to get two glasses of free moonshine, and all I need to do to deserve it is tell you which I like the best. Well, that's right, friend. About time something good happened. Pour them up. And the devil, he took his golden jug with the three X's, brought it to the lip of Sam's glass. Sam took a big swallow, and then the devil said, Now, you tell me that that ain't the best moonshine you ever tasted. Or is ever gonna taste, Sam. Sam grinned as wide as the M-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, and he said, Hell, if you ain't right, that's the moonshine's the best I ever had. But as for whether or not I'll ever have better, 
Well, I guess that's up to the other gentleman here. Poor, sir. Poor. And Obadiah removed from his knapsack a jug wrapped in brown paper. And he poured that moonshine into Sam's waiting glass. Sam took up the glass, his drunken eyes greedier than ever. And he drank it down slow, his eyes going to little slits. The devil's own moonshine might be tastier than a sugar-coated okra churro smothered in grandma's piping hot gravy. But nothing beats Obadiah Brimble Banks' moonshine hands down. Over all else, now and forever. Sam set down the glass. You look from the devil to Obadiah, then down at the glass again. Nothing beats Obadiah Brimble Banks' smooth as moonlight moonshine. Best I ever had now and forever. He's the winner. And the bar went plumb crazy. Everyone were yelling and shouting and saying they wanted to try that moonshine and saying they can't believe somebody beat the devil for real, for fair and square, and done it right in front of their faces. And they'd never forget as long as they lived till the river Lethe take it away and the devil done got beat. Obadiah was getting smacked on the back left and right and people was trying to lift him up over their shoulders but he shushed them away and he looked up at the devil and says, Now devil, you got beat fair and square, but I can see how mad it makes you. And I tell you, I feel bad. I do. And the devil, he would have been mad if he weren't so shocked out of his socks. I tell you, I don't mean to make you feel worse than you already do. Getting kicked out of heaven and not being in God's grace no more, and then having your butt handed to you by good old Obadiah Brimblebanks. I don't want to take away your jug you like so much, too. So you just keep it. Keep that joke. We both know who the better man is now, and that's good enough for me. Oh, thank you, folks. Thank you, devil. And thank you, Sam. The finest judge this side of the Mississippi. Either side or on it. Either side or on it. I'ma pour you another glass, Sam. He poured that moonshine and Sam drank it down. Someone has told me you're in here drinking all the time because you wanted to write jokes and ain't nobody want. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're going to be more famous for your writing jokes than ever for judging this here moonshine contest. You'll be the best joke writer in all America. And I'll drink to that. And he poured Sam another glass. I'll drink to that too, sir. And he did. And then he passed right out on the floor. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be on my way. And he was out the door before the devil could find the words to speak, standing there nonplussed with his jaw hanging open. And Obadiah stepped out of that bar and outside. <laughs> he laughed harder than he ever laughed. And he held up that moonshine jug and tore that brown paper right off it. And underneath, it was pure gold and marked with three X's. You see, he'd brought a fool's gold jug. He painted X's on himself down to hell when he visited. And when the devil had roared his roar and sent him sprawling, he'd swapped out the jugs in the chaos. And he'd had the devil's jug ever since and turn that devil's trick right back on the devil himself. As for the devil, he returned to hell. Madder and Hades and mighty confused about what went wrong. His magic jug had never failed him before. Dig dag it! This thing must have run out of juice. Confound it! And in his fury, he threw the jug hard against the rocky wall where it shattered into a whole heap of pieces on impact. The devil cocked his head like a puppy who'd just been asked a geometry problem. What in tarnation? He looked up right close at the pieces, and he knew at once he'd been tricked. 
plain old clay jug covered with the thin skin of fool's gold. And he was the fool. Damn you, Obadiah Brimblebanks. Nobody pulls one over on the devil and gets away with it. And even roasting in the fire pits of hell, the souls of the damned shivered with fear. And the rest up on earth trembled without really knowing why. Looks like Obadiah done stepped in a steaming pile of stink this time. And there ain't no wiping this one off on the sidewalk. Let's give this story a rest a spell and see what lesson the Bible kids have for us. Oh, sorry Buford. I guess we forgot to tell you, but the darn Bible kids done and gone and went and gone and got themselves raptured. So they aren't going to have any more lessons for us this episode. And now, back to the banjo picking Brimblebank's brothers front porch story time and they're telling of the story, The Old Devil Moonshine. Now the devil was more angry and frustrated than a porcupine trying to mate with a pincushion. He was so angry that the lava pits in hell took to boiling and the flames of hell roared up hotter than ever. So hot that even Obadiah Brimblebanks felt the temperature rise in his home, and he knew the devil had worked out that he'd pulled one over on him. And he knew that the devil would be coming for him. He had done used up a lot of his scheming on tricking the devil at the contest, and had not come up with a plan for how to get away once the devil came after him. Well, not yet. So he did the first thing he could think of. He grabbed a sack, threw some provisions and other supplies inside, along with the golden jug, of course, and took off toward the mountains. There he hoped he could hide for a spell and come up with a new plan. As he lit out, he heard a terrible roar behind him and turned just in time to see his house burst into flames. He'd made it out in time. He wasted no time of gawking, but turned away and kept on running. He heard the devil's voice booming behind him. Wherever you run, Obadiah Rimblebanks, I find you. No one tricks the devil gets away with it. Well, not yet, Obadiah thought, but there's a first for everything. He hightailed it up into the great mountains where the air was clear and he could think. It wasn't long before he happened upon a familiar face. It was Sam, the old drunk who had judged the moonshine competition. And yet that day, Sam was looking considerable less drunk and dressed up sharp in a white suit. You, sir, are a sight for sore eyes if I've ever seen one. Well, if it ain't Sam... The best judge of moonshine in the U.S. of A. Well, not anymore. Ever since I hit it big, I'm using Mark Twain. And I'd like to thank you for the booster confidence you gave me. I've been writing up stories lately, and I just got one published. Please accept this cigar as a small token of my esteem. Much obliged, Sam. Er, Mark. But I best be heading off. Well, don't you want to hear the story? It's about a frog, see? The devil himself is after me. He found out I tricked him and he's out for revenge. It's a hell of a story, Obadiah. And I know you like stories. Well, maybe I have a few minutes to spare. So Obadiah sat on a stump and listened to Mark Twain's story of that celebrated frog and smoked a cigar. And once it was done, Obadiah couldn't help but stay and try to top that story with one of his own. 
The two master storytellers went back and forth, telling stories and smoking cigars and forgetting all about Obadiah's trouble while they was at it. And that's just what saved him. They told so many stories and smoked so many cigars that the whole of the great mountains was filled with a thick, smoky haze, and the devil couldn't see the path to follow where Obadiah had gone. Furious, he turned around and hightailed it back to hell. The smoke from Obadiah and Mark Twain's cigars lingers there still, and to this day, the once great mountains are now called the Great Smoky Mountains instead. But Obadiah was still in trouble, to be sure. He lost his home and pretty near everything he owned, but he did still have the devil's own moonshine jug. With that, he could pour anybody a drink and get them to do whatever he wished. Now, if you had a magic jug like that, what would you use it to do? Well, not hypothetically, you see. I'm actually asking. Well, I'd use it to get people to give me all kinds of people food. Hush puppies, grits, chicken fried steak, steak fried chicken, monkey fried kitten. Okay, okay, Buford, we get it. I'd use it to make men do my bidding. Buy me drinks, carry heavy things for me, do odd jobs around my house like fixing the plumbing, and painting the walls all for free. Luella, you already get men to do all those things for you. Yeah, but I wouldn't need to wear these ridiculous short shorts to do it no more. Well, I'd use it to wish for more wishes. It's not a genie's lamp, Billy Sue. Yes, sir, wishing for more wishes. That's how you get around the limit, see? Well, I'd use it to convince people that the South should secede from the Union again. Oh, look, Goob. We already in the middle of one story to try to fix you. So I'm just gonna put a pin in that comment for now. We'll come back to it. Well, Obadiah, he done all these things and so much more as he worked his way around the country on the run from the devil. One sip from that jug and he could convince folks to let him stay for free at the finest of hotels. Eat the choicest of choice steaks. Dress in the fanciest of clothes. Pet the very prettiest of kitty cats. Well, sure, I reckon probably so. And so it was that Obadiah made his way clear across the continent. He was camping out one night in the tall woods of California, and when he woke up the next day, the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up. It was hot out. Too hot even for California. And his right big toe took to twitching. Luella. What? I just always liked that part. Besides, we ain't told none of the story in a spell. Now, Obadiah found himself in real trouble. And there he was, standing outside with nothing on except his bright red overall underwears. You know the kind. The ones with the little two-button butt window so you can open and shut it when you need to go do your business. Your butt business. Now, Obadiah was as nervous as the catfish at a dog show. What? But his flap was shut, for he had no butt business to do. He looked around for some way to hide. You okay, mister? He hadn't even seen the woman they were painting the sign. Welcome to, it said in bright red paint. Ooh, the tall woods, he could just make out an unpainted pencil. Brimblebanks. Obadiah Brimblebanks. You look a mite nervous, Mr. Brimblebanks. Not to mention a tad underdressed for company. That I am, Miss... Maybell. Maybell Washington. That I am, Miss Maybell. But I'm afraid company is just what I'm expecting. You see, the devil himself is after me. And I fear I run out of places to hide just now. Well now, that is a heap of trouble, but I have an idea. As quick as can be, Maybell painted one of the tall trees bright red. There, stand right up next to that. He did. And when he was up against the cardinal color trunk and the scarlet taurus, you couldn't hardly see Obadiah at all. Well, that's a pretty good trick, Miss Maybell. But I suspect this bright red tree is going to look a mite suspicious. That it might, Mr. Obadiah, if it were the only one. 
and lickety-split made that whooshed her brush all around and painting every one of those tall trees in the forest a bright red. She finished up with just seconds to spare before the devil showed up. You, girl. You talking to me? That I am. Why aren't you shaking with fear? Don't you know who I am? A good woman who keep her nose out of trouble ain't got nothing to fear from no devil. I'm looking for a man who does. You see a white fella with dark eyes and dark hair hiding around here somewhere? No, I have not, Mr. Devil. What are you doing here? Just painting this here sign. As you can see, you used to say, Welcome to the Tall Woods. But the sign company I work for has been hired to change it to Welcome to the Redwoods to more accurately convey the unique nature of this here forest. I see. The devil's pitch black eyes looked all around him at the trees the color of his skin. I guess they are pretty red at that. Damnation! I'll get you yet, Brimblebanks. And the devil disappeared in a blaze of hellfire. You did, Maybell. You saved me. Obadiah ran out and laughed and, despite barely knowing the woman, hugged Maybell. <laughs> but you had to lie to do it. Lie to the devil ain't no sin, Mr. Obadiah. Maybell! What in tarnation is taking so long? Oh, it's the boss. Miss Maybell Washington, you should have been done painting that sign hours ago. What the devil took so long? Well, funny you should phrase it that way, Mr. Wordsworth. For you see, I'm afraid I did have a run with the devil himself. What? Do you expect me to swallow that load of hogs, Wallop? They told me not to hire a woman like you, but when I saw what a good sign painter you was, I overcame my better judgment. Now, I can vouch for what this woman says, Mr. Wartsworth. In fact, Miss Maybell here saved my life. Stay out of it, stranger. Miss Maybell, you are fired. I never should have hired one of your kind. Now, Mr. Wartsworth, before you go and do something rash, how about a nice glass of my best moonshine? Well, it ain't gonna change my mind none. But I'll take the free drink all the same. And Obadiah poured him a glass from the devil's jug, and then said, Now that you've had a moment to think it over, wouldn't you say Miss Washington is just too good in an employee to lose? And wouldn't you say you think she really deserves a raise, even? You know, now I had a minute to mull it over, uh, yes, I do. And don't you think all this talk about her kind is just a bunch of malarkey? And that her kind ain't really no different than your kind at all. You know, I, I think you're right about that, friend. Maybell, take a week's paid vacation. And when you come back, things will be mighty different. And with that, mean old Mr. Wordsworth headed off, though he weren't so mean anymore. What just happened? Obadiah held up the jug of moonshine. This happened. <laughs> I can suggest anything to someone after they took a drink out of this here jug. And you know what? I've been a mite selfish with it. Using it to do nothing more than make life more fun and easy for myself. Now I see maybe I could do something more important with it. Like what? I see it now. The way that feather treated you. This nation has a sickness. And that sickness is racism. I'm going to use this here jug to cure America of that sickness. <laughs> oh, Mr. Obadiah. Your heart's in the right place, so I don't mean to laugh too hard, but you can't cure racism with a magic jug. It's going to take all of us to do that. It's going to take a lot more than just one white man with one golden jug. <sighs> yeah, I guess you're right, Maybell. I guess my old ego got a little overgrown for a minute there. But I promise you this, my friend. 
Each time I come across a racist like that, Mr. Wartsworth, I'm gonna set him straight. That won't fix the whole problem, you're right. But it might at least set a few heads better. And then maybe a few people will get a better shake as a result. I already have, Mr. Obadiah. Thanks. Oh, you saved my life, Maybell. I owe you all the thanks there are. And that's why, to this day, that forest is called the Redwoods. God darn it, Coy! We were gonna come right out and just say it like that. Give your listeners a doll of credit, for goodness sake. Oh, fornication! And so, Obadiah did just what he said he'd do. As he worked his way back and forth across the country, he poured a glass of shine for people all along the way and left them with suggestions that made them more likely to look on their fellow man. And woman folk, too. And woman folk, too, with a more kindly disposition. Now, bad enough that a mortal had gotten a hold of his magic moonshine jug, even worse that he was using it to make people more likely to treat one another with kindness and respect. Obadiah was in Arizona one evening and had just set the feller's mind to changing about our national neighbors to the south when the devil decided he'd taken all that he could took. That tears it! I'm coming for you, Obadiah Brimblebanks, and this time I won't rest till I catch ya. Obadiah had just set up camp for the night in a little patch of Arizona where the desert started to give way to the forest when he heard a terrible rumbling. Suddenly the cactus all around him took fire and seemed to screech and wail as they burned. The devil had come for him again, and Obadiah knew somehow this time it would be different. For one, he was sick of living on the run himself. And for to another, he could feel the devil's rage in his very bones. He took to the forest just as his tent exploded, revealing the devil in its place. Peering out from behind a tree, Obadiah saw his old adversary, transfigured by his fury. He now stood some twelve feet tall. His red skin now looked like dried rock and bright orange light shone through the cracks on the surface. His back legs were now bent backwards at the knees like the back legs of a horse, and he lurched strangely when he walked. His pitch black hair and eyes dripped oil across his rocky flesh. His nostrils flared and his chest swelled as it breathed deep. Obadiah Brimberbanks, I smell you in the air, and I'm coming for you. The devil rocked back and forth as he walked away from the flaming wreckage of the campsite. His thundering strides took him straight toward where Obadiah was hiding, and every step left a fiery footprint behind. This ain't a game no more, Brimblebanks. I'm coming for you. Quietly as he could, Obadiah briskly stepped to another tree to hide behind it, farther into the wood. When he reached the tree line, the devil's long arm shoved the trees on either side of the path down and stepped in. The trees took to bursting into flame, and the fire began to spread to other trees all around. You hear me, boy? This ends tonight. I tell you, I'm coming for you. As the fire spread, the shadows of the trees danced one way and the other, disorienting poor Obadiah. What's more, the trees could see their brethren being consumed by spreading flames, and so they shook with fear. A strange figure with no face peered out from behind a tree before running off. The trees were so scared that they've been a petrified forest ever since. The Arizona heat was amplified, something fierce by the growing fire and the devil's rage, and Obadiah took to sweating. His mouth dry, his vision blurring, but Obadiah spouted a cabin up ahead in the woods. Perhaps he could hide from the devil's fury there for a spell. He raced toward it. Careful not to step on a branch or a twig. He made it in. And as he made it in, the latch on the door clicked. And he knew. I heard that. You're mine, Obadiah. 
The impact knocked Obadiah to the floor. As the devil burst into the cabin. He was silhouetted pitch black with the orange fire and the door frame behind him. The fire spread from his feet to the walls of the cabin. And in the growing light within, Obadiah could see the fresh madness in his eyes. If there had been any moisture left in him, Obadiah would have been sweating something fierce. I got you now, boy. Any last words? What? What? Water. You trying to save water? There was a glass on the table in the center of the cabin. Obadiah pulled himself up and reached for it. Weakly. You want this water? Water. Obadiah squeaked as he reached for the glass. I don't think so. The devil snatched it away and grinned at Obadiah for a moment before drinking it all. Obadiah locked the eyes with the devil for a moment, and then let the fear and hate on his face melt away before saying, Gotcha. The fires around them dimmed slightly. Obadiah held up the gold jug in one hand and winked at the devil. Knowing he'd been tricked, all the color drained out of the devil's flesh, leaving him a sickly pale yellow. He shrank down to just five feet tall, and his horns became little pointed nubs on his forehead. What are you going to do to me now? Well, not too long ago I had asked for fame and fortune like I gave to Sam. But if there's one thing I learned through all this, it's that it's way more fun to be alive and kicking than it is to have none of those things. Because Shakespeare don't need his fame. And Cleopatra ain't got her money. But I'm sure having a hell of a time. Just writing. Just moonshining. Just tricking the devil and living it up. So I just got a couple of suggestions, old Scratch. First off, you want to leave me alone from now on. No more vendetta. No more attempts at revenge, either directly or indirectly. So thorough was the jug's power that his suggestion had the full effect. The very desire for revenge against Obadiah was gone from the devil's... Heart might be the wrong word. There was a little black squid-looking thing inside of his chest. In the heart. What else? Racism. Make it all go away. That's not how it works. I drank the liquid poured from the jug. Your suggestions can only affect me. Well, shoot. Okay, then. Well, at least you stay out of it from now on. How's that now? From now on, you stop twisting men's hearts against one another. In fact, from now on, you stay out of the affairs of man altogether. Whatever mistakes we make from now on... At least they'll be our own. At this, the devil curled his lip, for Obadiah had not ordered him to want to stay out of the affairs of men. But want to or not, he was obliged to comply with the command. Damn you, Brimblebanks. And a faint whisper of smoke curled out from the devil's mouth, wrapped itself around him, and he was gone. From then on, Obadiah kept the jug close at all times and used it to do good deeds. At least most of the time. <laughs> and when he passed, he made sure it stayed in the hands of his family. But devil or no, that weren't hardly the last time Obadiah Brubblebanks got himself in a mess of trouble. <laughs> but I guess the rest is stories that can wait for another day. Well, Goob? Well, what? Well, what do you think, well, what? Is it still prejudice or ain't you? Well, no. I never was. Not against the folk Obadiah was trying to help. I'm talking about illegal immigration from the foreign lands. Muslims who hate our freedom. Gold 
darn it, Goober Tin P Hog Slop. Can't you just take a lesson about one set of people and apply it to a different set? That's just basic logical cognition. Hell no. I guess I cannot. <sighs> well, we tried. I guess it was a bit much to hope one story might set a fellow like Goob straight. But, well, that don't mean we can't still be neighborly. How about joining us on the front porch for a little drink? Well, sure. I wouldn't mind that at all. Say, that's a mighty fine idea, Brother Vance. Luella, could you fetch us a jug to serve Goob with? Sure thing. The family heirloom one, if you know what I mean. I certainly do. Well now, don't that just beat all. Looks like old Obadiah passed down a bit of his wily ways as well. <laughs> you folks have been listening to Chicken Fried Wimblebanks Brothers Front Porch Storytime and our presentation of Fermentin' and Fomentin' or Hellfire and Moonshine, written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Vidovic, and starring Brody H. Brocky as Coy Brimblebanks and Justin Vidovic as Vance Brimblebanks. This episode's front porch players were made up of Colleen Stano as Luella Lou Brimblebanks, Leah Bauer as Billy Sue Brimblebanks and Dante, Peter Danug as Obadiah Brimblebanks, Ryan Ann Wilcox as The Devil and Goober, Derek Gokenauer as Sam slash Mark Twain, Desiree Nelson as Maybell Washington, Robert Free as The Stranger at the Crossroads, Evan Murphy as Edgar Allan Poe and The Bartender, with Brody H. Brocky as Karen Dostoyevsky and Wadsworth, Justin Vidovic as Shakespeare, and Scott Longprey as Buford the Talking Basset Hound. Oh, hey, that's me. <laughs> this episode's commercial, Christian Gizmos, was written by Justin Vidovic and performed by Colleen Stano, Ryan Ann Wilcox, Leah Bauer, and Justin Vidovic. And as for me, I'm Buford the Talking Basset Hound, saying you can pick a banjo and you can pick your nose, but you just can't pick your family. Y'all come back now, you hear? Oh, and when you do, uh, maybe bring a little steak fried monkey for your old pal Buford.